The following episode of the Nick podcast contains explicit language and spoilers. We highly recommend you watch the corresponding episode before listening. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of the Nick podcast. I'm Michael Begler. And I'm Jack Amiel. And we are the co-creators and writers of the show. Each week we take you behind the scenes with various cast and crew for in-depth discussions on what it takes to go from words on a page to the final product you see at home. Today we will be discussing episode 8 entitled Not Well at All, written by co-executive producer Stephen Katz. And we are very fortunate to have Ellen Morajnik, our brilliant wardrobe designer, as our special guest. And helping us out once again are our semi-regular co-hosts, Michael Angarano, a.k.a. Birdie, the Jewish lover, and Chris Sullivan, and good old Tom Cleary, the condom king. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Great oh, to be here. I want to be the Jewish lover. <laughs> but don't you like being the condom king? Condom king's good. Well, condom king with, with you know, a Jewish lover. It's, sure. It's perfect. All you right. guys are well-mated. So before we bring Ellen on, who is actually joining us from Cambodia... Uh, let's just do a quick little recap of the episode. This one started kind of in an interesting way. We had Wendell Ludd, our resident drunk, um, who was looking for a fix, and he finds himself going into the morgue and uh, sipping on a little uh, embalming fluid, which is something, Jack, I think that you sort of read about. Yeah, it comes from the story of what students used to do in medical schools, which is bodies were embalmed, and embalming fluid was around 50-something percent, 58 percent alcohol. And so what they would do is, once the bodies were embalmed, they would then sneak in and they would take the embalming fluid out of the bodies and then sell it to pubs. And I know that sounds disgusting, but it's actually something they did. And that's why that's where they think the term rot gut comes from when talking about cheap whiskey. But the way we ended up shooting it was that he just basically pulls the the needle out of the, 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 the dead patient and, and then he just starts drinking the embalming fluid. Either way, it's truly fucking disgusting. Well, desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's how I wake up in the morning, mostly. Right. <laughs> no, but I think there is a bar in Williamsburg that's now serving rot gut. <laughs> right. That's yeah, but trendy. I was into rot gut before it was cool. No. Yes. So, yeah, so that was that was sort of how we did it. And... Um, and yeah, what we what we, I think I love about it is that we had this this promising moment of of Thackeray hypnotizing this guy, and well, maybe this will work. Who knows? And we have seen hypnotism working for other people for other purposes, but it just was not going to work for this. No, this episode also took us back to the incredible set of Huber's Palace, and in this one we see Cleary and Harriet. Cleary's on a semi-date with Harriet mm-hmm. and, and Pouncey and his girl. What's what's nice about this is when you guys, Sully and Carrot, were watching the, uh, what's the machine called? Uh, it's like a Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. right, it's, right. It's not really a Nickelodeon, but it's, it's, it's a version of it from that era. This was, this was actually something that I found. It's called, um, it was called the, the Big, uh, swallow, the big right? swallow, right? And it was from 1901, and it was a, it was a short, and it was about a, basically a man. Uh, there was a camera walking towards a man who's talking, and he basically looks like he eats the camera. Mm-hmm. And the way we have Cleary and Harriet react, I feel like that's what people would have done back then because they've never seen things like this before. So they probably thought that somebody actually ate the camera. It was the equivalent of watching the Avengers. Exactly. Holy shit! He just walked up and ate the whole camera. I swear it ate the whole thing. Look. How did he do that? Maybe it was a really small camera. Ah! Ah! He just ate the camera, man. 
This don't make no sense. Let's watch it again. People's people's f- freaking out about moving pictures, them being so brand new. Weren't you guys telling us a story about uh, the first time uh, uh, they showed like a train entering a station mm-hmm. in in movie theaters, and people would run screaming from the movie theater because they thought the uh, the train was about to burst through the screen. Oh, absolutely! It was t- completely true, and I, the same thing happened. When, I think when they were showing like waves on a beach, they thought they were going to get wet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just so unbelievably real to them and you can understand never having seen anything like this we were trying to figure out like well how are they going to see this thing and so Stephen just grabbed it was like a jar it was a fishbowl that I think was holding candy, candy right <laughs> and Stephen just kind of dumped out the, the, the candy or someone did and he put the camera lens inside the fishbowl and then he took an. Uh, it was an iPad. iPad. It was an iPad. We because he because we pulled up that we pulled up the movie on YouTube, and and we just used it off of that, and we and that's how he shot it, and it looks amazing. The other thing that happens in this in this episode is uh, I believe Tom Cleary tries on some condoms. Does he not? He does, or at least he gives it a good a good effort, trying on uh, the homemade their homemade wares. How's the fit on this one? Uh, not sure yet. How can you not be sure? It ain't like trying on a pair of boots. It takes a bit of concentration. Blood flow is important, but so is a snug fit. Yeah, well, you sure know a lot about a fella's pecker for someone who's been avoiding him her whole life. I just love this evolution of this friendship between the two of you, that you bring out this sweetness in each other. What are those scenes like with her? They're extremely comfortable. The way the way the way that the 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 whole series has gone down, and the way you guys you know started out our characters, there's literally nothing we can't do or say in front of each other. So those scenes are very familiar and <laughs> very very easy. And and Kara uh, Kara is obviously um, a very good partner. You know what's so fun about watching the episodes is that, you know, as we film it, we block shoot it. So as an actor, you shoot most of your storyline, you know, in a week or two mm-hmm. in, in, in whatever location that is meant to be, um, like your house or you know, Huber's Palace. But as a result, you very rarely see any of the other actors who you aren't, you know, who you don't share a storyline with. And Sully and I don't really share any storylines. So. At all. At, yeah. at all, like that yeah. was at Sully's request. Yeah, right. Oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> we did. We did have the condom trying on scene with you and Sully originally. Uh-huh. Just <laughs> no, actually, there was one scene. There was one scene that remember that I. I was like, why am I in this scene? It was that actually was in Clive. the same place. It was in Huber's palace where the twins. Uh, episode six, when you when when they steal the uh, when the they twins. steal the twins. Steal, steal yeah, twins. yeah. Six. So we're, it's late. We've had a long day, and it's Soderbergh setting up the scene. And it's just Clive, Sully, and Michael Angarano. And Angarano has a question. What was your question, Michael? Why don't you take the story from here? I was, I, I, I was just, you know, reading it, and then I think we went through it once, and then I just turned to Steve and I was like, "Why am I here? Like, why theoretically would Thackeray need me here? <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely no reason for me to be here." And then he was like, "I agree. Um, <laughs> ask Jack." And so I turned to Jack. I was like, "Jack, why am I here?" And he was like, I don't know. And on that particular day, had, had you shot anything or had you been there for a few hours and hadn't done anything? Yeah. I, th- I, I think it was the second day. I think the night before I shot the scene yeah. with, Hubers. That, scene, at yeah. Huber's with Ariel. But before that, 
or that day, I don't think I was there for anything other yeah, than you, that. You so were you there traveled for like three out. or four hours and then <laughs> got into costume and makeup, walked onto set and was like, right. uh, I think I'm going to take off, guys. I'll see you. <laughs> but as, as you know, it, so instead of being in a scene, I got to have lunch with Sully. Exactly. <laughs> Did you go to the barbecue place? No, I didn't go to the barbecue place. But we, we had corned beef. That was St. Patrick's Day. It was oh, St. Right. Patrick's Day. We had corned beef on the shores of Red Hook looking over the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> but what I was going to say was like, you know, you never really get to see the other actors. You just kind of get to get caught up on how it's going. Right. You know, you kind of make small talk. And, you know, because we don't really rehearse that much and how Soderbergh likes to work is what you see on screen, essentially, you know, the evolution of Harriet and of Cleary. That's other than, you know, your guys's great writing. That's Sully and Kara getting together on a Sunday and and mm-hmm. rehearsing all of their scenes for the week. And it's, it's just always... Uh, you know, it's always really cool to see everybody else's storylines because you're like, oh, yeah, they're great. They're yeah, so great they are. To watch. And it's funny because, like, for the next week or so, every time you came to set, you would jokingly be like, um, look, I'm not going to ask any questions <laughs> yeah. that would get me taken out of another scene. But <laughs> right. just out of curiosity, why am I here? <laughs> right. Another thing that happens um, where where Bertie is involved is Abby dies on the table in front of Bertie and Thackeray's eyes. Michael Angarano, what was it like to be the cause of death for one of the more beloved characters on our show? Um, well, I do not take full responsibility. This one's not all on you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's you know, these scenes kind of get uh, what you would imagine these characters feel like because where, you know, you're filming another death scene. Right. For a great character and a great actor. And it's always, it, it's kind of you know upsetting because you're you don't how would you react and it's it's one person's emotional you know this well, is obviously it's, it's not that long ago that you killed your mother so. right of course <laughs> but also i i got to i got to say after after catching up on on these these episodes and watching the performances it's really interesting what we get from from actors like michael and like clive who are losing people who are very important to them you get a different reaction from the actor that you norm that you normally would in in any other show because they've also cultivated this this uh, emotional um, distance being doctors or surgeons. So there's 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 a great pain involved in in seeing these characters go. But the the performances from Michael and Clive are, are, are in both of those situations are just phenomenal. Well, to me, there's. Um... It's a it's a very very small gesture that it, I, I don't think it was written actually, but the, the gesture where Birdie um, closes her mouth, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that to me was a, a very very important symbolic thing that we just you know came up with on the day because Jennifer was sitting there and she she looked beautiful and you know it all went so fast and she was sitting there and I think the first take. Uh, she just had her mouth open, and there was something very undignified about that. Well, yeah. I think also uh, it was on the day that you came up with um, Clive saying, take the tube out. Right. And I think so from there, it probably... Yeah, exactly. And that's and a, I, gesture, I, I... a gesture that you might not have afforded uh, someone you, you, you didn't know. or. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, some of the other patients who come in who yeah. um, you don't have that emotional attachment to. Yeah. There is an ability, I find, among you guys to really to really sink into the moments because there's nothing on set you can see besides the cameras that aren't, period. Mm. So suddenly, I, I find that you guys immerse and you feel so, I mean, you guys feel so natural in, in your environment at a certain point that you're acting, you know, you're acting off of this, you know, obviously the hard work and training, but the instinct as that person suddenly making these choices in that space. And I think that's 
partially due to obviously how Steven shoots mm-hmm. and everything and how we've the sets look. But I also find it that you guys so commit in a way that that I always find so extraordinary because I'm always like, wow, they re- they're really really trying hard here. <laughs> like, wow, they're good. As you long know? as you like, as long as you don't look right into the camera, you're, yeah. you're you're in the world, so it makes it super easy. And I think <laughs> part of that reason is because of the way you're dressed. Yeah. And the person who is responsible and the person to thank for that is our special guest who is on the other side of the planet right now, Ellen Mirajnik. Ellen, we can't thank you enough for joining us all the way from Cambodia. Oh, it's great to be part of this. I just wanted to start out by saying, you know, this show is like this total sweeping canvas in terms of the wardrobe. You know, it's period and it's the wealthy and it's the poor. It's the hospital workers, the city workers, the patients. I'm I'm assuming that this is really thrilling, but it could also be so I can see it being so intimidating considering our tight shooting schedule. I mean, I want to know, like, where did your initial inspiration come from? Like, did you start with Thackeray and you sort of go from there? Well, I have to say that the first inspiration came when I met you and Jack. You had your lookbook. You had the material. And it started just at that point. So the level of inspiration was multi-layered in that it wasn't just, okay, let's look at some pictures, let's find the research, let's really delve into it, let's see what was really real, let's see what it really needs to be, and so on. I think that we started to operate from a different point of view unknowingly. Everything was really unconscious, especially in a broad canvas like this. All we basically do in um, meeting and in designing for each character, creating each character's look, is that it's so important to see the person. It's so important to create this collage and see what it is that we get, you know, what shape looks best, what what could be the best signature, what makes them. In this case, we'll talk about Zachary. We knew that he was a drug addict. That was fascinating. Of course, we've talked about the white shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, it was a real note. Those doctors wore white shoes, white boots in, the, in surgery. And it was just an interesting kind of idea. And we tried it out on him. When he walked into the room, he looked at us a little, are you sure? And we were. And he put it on and one piece led to another, to another, to, you know, and just built upon that. And he looked at himself, and when you know it's right, it's right. It took all of maybe 45 minutes to do this and hit it. And he said, I could be David Bowie with a question mark. And I just said, I just said, John Thackeray could be anything he wants to be. And that was it, guys. And we were off to the races, you know, so... So can you can you give us an idea of how something goes from Ellen Mirajnik thinks this is awesome to somebody wearing something that didn't exist six weeks ago? So how it goes is this. I'm like a, a costume designer that really works from a feeling, not necessarily from the specifics of the research. So what that means is I have really two, two great assistants who can interpret 
these feelings for me and help me lay it down. One fabricates and the other helps see things through to fruition. And fabricates means that we're going to get the fabric, we're going to get the trim, we're going to decide who's going to make it, and we're going to lay out a plan for the season. We looked at season two. It takes place a month after season one ends. Are we going to use the wardrobe from last season? Most definitely. What can't we use? We take that out. What can we use? We put in. What do we need to add? On the case of season two, there were a lot of other um, classes. There there were more characters that were written in different environments that were written. So how we go about that is determining how many costumes need to be designed, how many costumes does Bertie need, how many costumes does Clary need. Yes, Sully, you must have liked having the fact that you could wear more things this season. Yes, I Sully, know. You I had, had one outfit the I whole had, show. I had one outfit for the whole the whole first <laughs> season. I did. Sully had a good time, like in in creating more uh, more dimension to Clary. I mean, we had a great time in the fitting room. And that's we did. So, so important. We as actors can make all kinds of choices. Uh, before we before we get on set, we can memorize our lines. We can we can imagine a character, but there's nothing more informative than putting the clothes on and putting the shoes on about the way a person moves and about the way a, the, uh, the, a person carries themselves. Like the first time I put on Cleary's coat and the way it was cut, yeah. tight across the back, yeah, tight across uh-huh. the back, pu- pulled my shoulders back, which in and the pants came, you know, halfway up the torso, which uh-huh. like makes it difficult to bend over and makes it difficult to right. do certain things, which informs the the movement of the period. And it and it it literally makes this man lead with his chest and his pelvis. And right. and the the shoes are are not athletic. You know, they are flat exactly. leather. They are hard soled. And Those so shoes suck. Yeah, it's <laughs> they really do. But they, like, if you watch, if you watch anyone who tries to move quickly in that show is, is moving still very daintily because those shoes, those shoes don't, yeah. They don't move fast. Exactly. They don't move fast. Exactly. I think that that's the beauty of it. Of course. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious. What's, what's the, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this based on, you know, everything else, but I, I'm just curious as to what your relationship with Stephen is like? Well, you know, I, I, he's he's Soderbergh. He's Soderbergh. So my relationship with him is not dissimilar to your relationship with him, to anybody's relationship with him. Soderbergh is a rarity. He hires you to do what you do. And what that means is, is not to necessarily work in your own vacuum. Howard Cummings and I work really closely together. Um, set decorating with Regina or Michael and Peter and Props. We're all a very well-oiled machine. Can you explain that a little more? Because I'm curious that you work so closely with Howard, the production designer. So do you coordinate the outfits with the set? Well, this is going to sound a little esoteric, but we don't coordinate the outfits with the set, but we create the design. We understand on a very, very essential level what the totality of the design is going to be. So we know that the people 
will the characters, the actors, will be at the forefront of the of the frame. However, in Soderbergh's world, they could be at the in the corner of the frame, mm-hmm. and we can see the entirety of the floor. All of that, all of that three hundred and sixty degree perspective is taken into consideration as we design each and every costume and create the world. The relationship that Stephen and I have is a really, really trusting and a solid one. It's kind of like I feel like we're good dance partners. And that trust is, you know, I'll go to him if I'm really not certain about something. For example, the girls had to go to the hospital this was in the first season, so it was... Yes. Lynn Lynn and Dolores. Yes. Yeah, the two yeah. prostitutes. So they're sitting there on the tables in the... In the, um, in the in the pathology lab. That's exactly right. In the pathology lab, sitting naked on the tables. Well, they have to go out and get into the carriage to be sent back. And it, uh, it, it killed me. Well, how are they going to leave the hospital? Had they arrived, were they Eastern, were they Western, were they a combination of Eastern and Western? Did they have a costume on? Did they have a robe on? Did they have, but it's cold out. What should they wear? I brought these girls back about six times to try different costumes on, none of which felt right to me. And I had to go to Stephen and say, Stephen, I'm like confused. I don't know. What do you want to see these girls walk out of a hospital into the carriage in? And he looked at me very strangely, and he said, coats? <laughs> and I said, all right, that's like the easiest answer in the world. He always, like, always knew after that point two, two black coats went on these girls, and that was the answer. But, and then we used it again season two, and it was really great, strong imagery. As oh, it yeah, it was out. terrific. When they but arrive, yeah. It's the simplest, it's simplest answer. I have a question. When you guys, Michael, first got together and decided on your look, I mean, to me, what's so iconic of you is that top hat. Mm-hmm. Did you guys like to look at different hats? Did you discuss it? I- well, when you when you work with somebody like Ellen, who's so great at what she does, and it's, you know, I'm sure every other actor on the show would agree with me. She's essentially giving you the major components of your character that you hadn't thought of. Like, you know, I, I'm not well-researched enough in, in you know, 1900 attire to know what Birdie would look like. So when I read the script, it, it's it's difficult for me for the most part to really imagine him in my mind because I just, I'm not as familiar with it as, you know, experts are. So when I walked into the, to the, my first, my very first fitting, she's essentially the one who's saying, I'm really feeling bow tie, I'm really feeling... You know, a, a three-piece suit with this certain type of collar, and you you try it on for the first time, and you're like, oh, this is this is it. This is you know, you later become as expert as she is. But for the first time that you know, I tried on the top hat, it was a very similar like aha moment when you're like, oh, this is this is Birdie. But who tilted it? I tilted it. <laughs> But when I also, when I talk about feelings, guys, I mean, when we first met, Michael, I, I don't think I'm remembering this wrong, but when we first met, you came in and we thought you were a skater guy. We had absolute, you looked like you were a skater guy. So to go from a skater guy who could have been Michael, who we didn't know, to Bertie was 
what's it going around the world? You know what I mean? It's like totally, totally different. But the feeling that that I got is that I just really wanted to try these pieces. It could have been all wrong, and we try others, but it wasn't. And it's it's really that magic that comes together in a moment that kind of makes it, it, it births the character and um, the, it births the character at a very visceral kind of feeling. And I think that what we actually were able to accomplish in a funny way, live on this other plane and continue to do this all season long, all second season long as well. So maybe maybe like a, a, a great final question for you, I guess, is when you go from genre to genre, I know you did the Scandal pilot, you did the recent Angelina Jolie movie, I think you're doing the next Angelina Jolie movie. You did Behind the Candelabra. You did Behind the Candelabra, for which you won an Emmy. Every time you take on a job and you start looking at it, do you find that when you dive in that you start sketching stuff or do you find that what you end up doing is you end up like grabbing pieces of clothing and saying, oh, this informs it? Or do you go to pictures? How is each thing come to you? What's your what's your what's your starter's gun? Uh, the starter's gun is always the material. That's first. From the material, immediately there'll be images. I'll go to images. I might sketch something quickly if I have an idea just like a little line drawing. I might get flashes of ideas very quickly and go on that. But I will start with imagery. The imagery that's available now is massive. So I'll go to a museum. I'll look at, I'll look at paintings. I'll look at drawings. I'll look at photographs. Sometimes I'll look at clothing. But usually not, I have to say. It doesn't start with the clothing for me. It's starts with understanding the big picture. I think that we got a really big picture of what you do and how much we appreciate what you do on the show. I mean, it's really just incredible. I appreciate it so much that you gave me this opportunity to be a member of this team. And we love you, Ellen. Thank you so much for everything you do and for joining us and for being you and for being just the sweet, (laughs) kindly, wonderful. And thank you for being you. Oh, yay. I can't help it. Well, I love you guys, and I miss you, and I hope I see you soon. Our podcast was produced by Barry Finkel with production help from Emily Rubin. Make sure to check out next week's episode entitled Do You Remember Moonflower? Friday at 10 p.m. only on Cinemax. And join us once again for the podcast where our special guest will be the goodnight Gallinger, Eric Johnson. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Check out the show pages on Facebook and Tumblr at At The Nick, where you'll find all sorts of fun stuff, including some incredible fan art. Someone even made a Pingwu This My Book Now t-shirt. I actually bought two of them. We always love hearing from you. So with that, I'm Michael Begler. And I'm Jack Amiel. And I'm Michael Angarano. And I'm Chris Sullivan. As always, thanks for listening.